Magnus Haystack, Brenthurst Wealth Management Founder. Magnus, this wasn't your first budget speech and it certainly won't be your last. Uh, what were your main takeaways? Just a high level analysis to start up with. I think my impression was it's it's like a, a, a new a Springbok fly half. He's having his first game. The whole world is watching his moves and what he's going to do. And I kind of got the impression he was a little bit nervous at start and he was he was jumping around. But then he got into his rhythm and it wasn't a bad speech. I mean, let's be fair. You know, it's it was a very neutral uh, speech, came across well and with a bit of humor here and there. So it wasn't too bad, but it's early days. I must tell you that. And I must tell you what, as they say, as Gary Play always used to say about luck, luck counts. Now, the new Minister of Finance came into the position with a tremendous amount of luck in the form of the commodity boom. And we've spoken about this on this program, I think going back a year already, where I said South Africa, the lucky country. And suddenly you've got this enormous commodity cycle bringing with it an enormous economic and tax um, windfall of anything between 180 and 200 billion rand. And, and that changes everything. I mean, any Minister of Finance would love to go into a budget speech knowing that there's an extra 182 billion in the bank and he can come across as being very generous and he's going to get a great coverage. Uh, but that's the danger. The danger is, is it a windfall? Is it permanent? And how are they going to deal with the fact if it is not permanent and the commodity cycle goes down again, heaven forbid, as it has done in the past, 2011, uh, previous cycles and they go down very dramatically and then and and, and that, that's the big issue is this uh, a short-term windfall or is it more permanent and, and we will only any time will tell magnus what is treasury looking to do with this windfall and with your concerns what would you do if you were in the position of the finance minister with this great windfall that has come as a result of the tailwinds from the commodity boom well, from a purely economic point of view, the windfall should have been used uh, mostly to reduce our, our fiscal situation, the slow movement towards a dead standstill. But from a political and a socio-economic perspective, we're sitting with an unemployment number of 40% plus. We're sitting with tremendous human suffering across the country, job losses, uh, people without jobs, and I think it was a very, very hard decision to make. Um, what do I do first? And I think it's a, it's a balancing act. We had 45 billion rand of that is going to the extension of this basic, uh, the unemployment uh, grant. And now the big debate is, is it going to become permanent? And afterwards, on, on one of the TV channel interviews, the minister was not uh, very specific. He dodged this issue about whether it's going to become permanent or not. But nevertheless, that issue was also raised by Isa Mushlangu, the uh, economist of Alexander Forbes. He wrote a very, very good piece two days ago warning that if this becomes permanent and at a higher level that a lot of people are pushing for, we could be running into serious financial difficulty two or three years down the line. And, and that is your danger. So it's a mixture of politics, uh, what needs to be done, common sense and of course and in South Africa nobody's always happy or unhappy it's a little bit of everything 
Magnus, let's talk a little bit about the infrastructure spend. We heard about it first around 18 months ago, whether it's been implemented or not. We don't know. If I look at the results of the construction companies and the management that I chat to when their results come out, there is no sign that this infrastructure spend is in action. They still talked, spoke about it today. Um, what were your takeaways from that little theme, the infrastructure-specific spend? Yeah, there's, it's quite clear that if you speak to anybody in construction, they are all looking a little bit askew and looking at each other and saying, where is this construction spend? It's not happening with my company, but and and quite quite bluntly, it's not happening. Uh, we've been talking about this for how long? Sonar speeches, budget speeches, um, this massive ex infrastructure spend, but it still is not happening. Let's hope it starts rolling out quite now. The big problem is, do we have the capacity left in South Africa to handle such big projects? A lot of our big construction companies have laid off people, have merged, have closed down, and our construction sector has shrunk fairly dramatically. There's been an exodus of skilled people, engineers, road builders, to other parts of the world as a result of the non-delivery in South Africa. Now we have the issue of infrastructure being included into pension fund um, assets, type of prescribed assets, the large pension funds, um, are already saying that they would love to get involved. But the big issue is, are there projects that are bankable and will produce a return to the investors? Because remember, this is not government money. It's not taxpayers' money. It's pensioners' money. And this is where it's going to be very, very interesting. We've already seen on Sunday, we saw Professor Mark Swilling, you know, he's the chairman of the Development Board of South Africa, saying that the construction mafia has to be dealt with. They have invaded most construction projects across the country. So this is not just bar talk. This is from the top saying it's a reality. Anywhere where there's construction activity in South Africa, these guys just rock up, uh, intimidate uh, the workers, the staff, saying, oh, we want 30% of this con contract. And people are closing up shop. We've had people killed in, in Rich's Bay a while ago. So this is a real problem. There's, there's the mafia-style intimidation of construction industry. And you now have the pension fund managers who would like to spend money in that sector, and it still is not happening. This is a very problematic. How do you put all these moving parts together that in the end of the day, it adds to the upliftment of the economy of uh, South Africa's future, but produces a return to the investors. And if it doesn't produce a, a return for the investors, because this is going to be watched by the media, guys like yourself, myself, how will individual investors re react if they see that their money, which is going into infrastructure partially, is not returning any kind of returns beyond inflation? So that's a very, very interesting period we're moving into. Let's talk about ESCOM for a second. Almost unequivocally, analysts and strategists like yourself see ESCOM as one of the major threats to South Africa's financial health. Uh, the debt burden has been slashed somewhat, although there's been tailwinds such as favorable currency movements. Uh, the sustainability of cutting that debt is a little bit unknown at this point. What were your takeaways from the ESCOM-specific part of the minister's speech? 
There wasn't much about it that struck me. I mean, we all know that the ESCOM problems going back 12, 13 years has been a massive macroeconomic dampener on the South African economy in the sense that no major industrialist will open up a plant if they're not sure about the electricity supply. The same goes for gold mines, platinum mines. So there's been very, very little new developments, uh, new grassroots developments. As a result of ESCOM, so many industrialists that I speak to said, I'm not opening up a factory. If I don't know, I can get power. Why would I do that? The foreigners are moving away. So we've already paid the price for ESCOM. It was heartening to see that I think 136 billion rands of ESCOM debt has been paid off. Now, that's going to be interesting how it's been done, but that was the announcement. We'll have to now go and analyze that number. But the ESCOM issue is still this big, massive gorilla in, 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 in the room and how it's dealt with, you know, are they busy, genuinely busy breaking it up into three parts, as I've said, are they going to allow the private sector to come in and produce uh, uh, their own power to assist the national grid? And it's all a mixture of economics and politics, which in South Africa tends to become very murky and in some cases quite quite bloody. Magnus, are the facts changing with regards to South Africa as an investment destination or is it simply too early to say so? No, it's way too early to say so. One must, you know, one must accept that... Uh, the, the RAN and the global markets, we suddenly, and we're talking six, seven weeks, barely, the RAND has strengthened, been one of the best performing markets, but it's been driven by commodity. And if you can look at the stocks on our market that are running or have been running, platinum, chrome, iron ore, and then interestingly, one or two banks. Now, I come back, having been in this business almost as long as Alec, that the commodity cycle bites you in, in a very sensitive place when you don't expect it. Just as you think we are in a new commodity super cycle, you've got it tapped, you know everything, you've supply, demand, equilibrium in the markets, something changes, a war breaks out, or worse, peace breaks out, and boom, the market changes. So... The danger is that this commodity cycle is unpredictable and very cyclical and can turn around very, very quickly. So it's very important how government handles this windfall, added to how it's going to deal with this big, the basic income grant. I've now read three or four reports in the last week from various economic commentators, but very serious economic commentators. I'm talking about Isa Mishlango. I'm talking about... Uh, Claude Baisak, I'm talking about Dr. or Professor Ricardo Hausman from Harvard, uh, and the two others that I've read, and they've all the lights are going on and saying, if this is not handled well, we could run into a major, major fiscal problem two to three years down the line, and that will normally take the, the place of uh, a debt standstill or, and then a currency crash. Those, those two factors have not gone away, Justin. And to answer your question, it is nice to look at people that their local assets are now starting to perform, but that doesn't mean the strategy, uh, the offshore strategy that we've been following for 13 years now has changed. Nobody, not one of my clients has phoned up and said, bring back my money. That's not happening. They are very happy, very comfortable with uh, that long-term strategy. 
Magnus, I've got three questions on the pension fund amendments that uh, are being held for Gazette um, next month. The first is very simple. What are the current legislation with regards to pension funds and um, regulate, regulatory 28 funds in South Africa currently? We, we basically touched on them. One, is, one of the regulations coming through is this two-pot approach by government where they're going to basically create two pots in your pension fund one the one third two thirds and if you run into financial difficulty which would be very strictly defined you will be allowed access to that one pot uh under under certain circumstances etc the two thirds pot will, will remain there for the rest of your life which is very interesting many commentators have missed this means you cannot withdraw the two-third pots for your entire life. So that money stays there from the day that you join the fund until you retire. So no more early withdrawals and, 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 and withdrawals from pension funds, which is quite quite a significant move in the preservation of pension funds for South Africans. Because South Africans are notoriously, when they run into financial difficulty, they run to the pension fund, whip it out, either resign, pull it out, and they start all over again. The second part is, of course, this infrastructure, uh, which will now be allowed in terms of the amended Regulation 28 uh, rules and pension funds. I'm talking about the big, big funds, Alexander Forbes, Mutual, Sunlam, will be allowed to, based on trustee decisions and fund managers, a certain percentage of their capital into infrastructure plans, whether it's 5 or 10 or 15%. That depends on the manager stroke trustee, which, as we discussed earlier in this pro program, sounds great on paper, but will it um, eventuate in, in, in reality? Or would I rather say, like the Irish say, we know it works in practice, but will it work in theory? What, what are you looking for in the amendments next month? You know, I can't answer your question. I mean, we, there's, mu there's not much that we can do. We need to know how the, first of all, what impact, and this is a slow-moving target, we won't know for at least a couple of years, what impact the exposure to infrastructure product, uh, projects in South Africa will have on retirement fund returns. We can only speculate. We can only trust the fund managers that they've done their homework. So we'll be watching that carefully down the line. And what kind of choice will they give people? Will they give people choice and saying, are you happy to put money into an infrastructure pot or not? Or would it be one size fits all? So those finer details we don't know yet, and that could become, that could become quite interesting.